Welcome to Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media Networks. This week, we have something a little bit different for you. I spent last weekend in Boston at the New England Symposium on Statistics in Sports, commonly called Nessus, listening to presentations and talking with people way smarter than me about the latest research in the field of sports analytics. It's a great one-day conference hosted at Harvard every other year since 2007, with presentations ranging from football, soccer, and baseball to esports and marathon running even. While I was there, I recorded conversations with four of the presenters. Two of those conversations are on this episode, and two others will be out in another episode later this week. For this episode, we'll focus on football, specifically the NFL, with guests Ron Yurko and Danny Chu, who both presented at the Nessus Conference. Ron Yurko's up first. He has both bachelor's and master's degrees in stats from Carnegie Mellon University, where he's currently a PhD candidate. He also founded the Carnegie Mellon Sports Analytics Club as an undergrad and is now an advisor for the club. He's one of the creators of NFL Scraper, a free R stats package for accessing NFL play-by-play data, and he's been at the forefront of public NFL analytics for several years. Ron and I will talk about his excellent Nessus presentation, which was entitled Going Deep, Models for Continuous Time-Within-Play Valuation of Game Outcomes in American Football with Tracking Data. He'll explain that better than I can. It's basically a building block to develop in-play expected points and win probability models to go even deeper than the usual pre- and post-play models. So without further ado, here's the Expected Value Conversation with Ron Yurko. We're talking with Ron Yurko from Carnegie Mellon University. His presentation here at the Nessus Conference was called Going Deep, Models for Continuous Time Within Play Valuation of Game Outcomes in American Football with Tracking Data. So first of all, Ron, let's kind of translate that into kind of exactly what it means and uh, what the gist of it was. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the whole idea of doing this continuous time modeling is what we already have currently in football work and football analytics what's called expected points and win probability. And that's at the start of a play, how many points is a team expected to score? or How likely are they to win the game? What we were really interested in is taking work that's been done previously in basketball and soccer and seeing how does the value of, say, the expected points or win probability change over the course of the play, given decision-making that's taking place, maybe based on how the quarterback is moving, who they target, when the running back gets the ball, how far they go, where we expect them to land, you know, and the, the final ending yard line of their carry. That was the basis of what this project was about, was within the play itself, how is the value changing over time, like a stock ticker movement. And so as you do that, you're seeing, okay, when this guy got this far down the field and there weren't this many players in the way, what were the takeaways that you kind of saw as you went about this process? Well, the first main takeaway I would say is the tracking data is very difficult to work with, to start with. And we were grateful for the fact that this was a subset of data released to us by the NFL through the Big Data Bowl. It was the only reason why this project was even possible. And so we could extend what we were doing with publicly available data with expected points win probability and now try to do something of let's come up with a framework to simplify the problem of dealing with all this XY speed information at the 10th of a second level. How do we get continuous time value? And that's, we came up with a general framework of we're gonna predict the end of the end of yard line for a play. 
since that's all that determines really the value. That then updates what's the down, what's the yards to go. And so from there, it was, there's all these pieces that if you have just any sort of general play of what could take place, if you model the various decision-making, and it fundamentally then came down to, we're just gonna focus on predicting the end of yard line for, for running plays to start with. So you touched on a little bit there about some of the uh, things you can build on this or the future applications of something like this once you, know, you continue to fine tune it. What, what, uh, what are kind of the top couple things that would be at your list, on your list, if you're looking at what you've done so far and what you could do next? And so definitely the top thing is actually implementing the full framework. So during my Nessus presentation, I showed this slide and it's also online in our paper, Going Deep, it's on the archive, where we have all of these steps of going from a drop back to then modeling who they're targeting to a global, is anybody gonna catch it? To then who catches it? But then fundamentally the ball carrier piece. And we've implemented our version so far of the ball carrier model, but there's all those other pieces taking advantage of say, what Brian Burke has developed at ESPN with DeepQB and others that have come out of the uh, big data bull as well. And the other big thing was something I touched at, at the end of the presentation of rather just then predicting a single yard line where I think the running play is going to end up, I can predict a whole distribution. I can draw a curve over the field where I think a player is more likely to end up. And so this example play I went through, you could see where he was likely, based on fitting a whole curve, you can see, oh, he's kind of likely to end up maybe near him, but now he's also getting more likely to reach the end zone. So the average wasn't appropriate because it was really a bimodal distribution on the field itself. So that's really in the next step as well. What's the player valuation thing? Because I can see, you know, you mentioned decision making, uh, who's good at this, who's bad at that, whatever. What's the player valuation future uh, as this data and these tools like this get developed? Yeah, so one of the things I talked about within the presentation was if if you're just predicting even the end of yard line, you say, all right, given they received the handoff and you know everything about where the players are at in the field at the current moment, where are they expected to go? Does that player reach that point? Does he fall short? Does he go beyond? You could do things within the rest of that play as well. And the, uh, you know, if you look at, okay, maybe a second into the play where now players are lined up in their blocks, et cetera, where do we think the running back is expected to go? Does he go beyond that? Does he fall short of that? And then we evaluate things with respect to, all right, do we think they're going to get the first down? Do they think they're going to get the touchdown and whatnot? And do players reach these expectations? And then in the continuous time framework, once with, the, with expected points and when probability values, we can look at the actual true values of player decision-making at the various position levels. So there's been this discussion within football analytics on the value of pass rushing versus pass defending. So with a full framework and where you're actually computing expected points win probability at the frame level, then you could really see, okay, how much does the impact of a corner's movement in say following his defender or the corner defending this pass, how much value does that have versus say the pass rusher getting some more pressure on the quarterback, right? We can actually quantify that because people have done analysis, say with charting data and whatnot, but now we want to actually quantify the continuous time level version of it. Yeah, it's interesting. I can see, you know, we have these whatever XIAC models and things like that, and this seems like a next step, a nice next evolution that you can add more on, use it for different positions, things like that. I want to ask you about something you said right before we started recording about how the sports analytics community world, whatever, has grown in acceptance 
or has been accepted more by, we'll say, the general analytics world over the last, you said, five years or so. What, what do you mean by that and kind of explain uh, what's changed over the last five years? Yeah, so initially I would say no one would disagree about, say, using sports data sets as a teaching purpose. And largely, maybe in the academic community, it would be considered, ah, oh, you're just doing a sports thing for fun, not necessarily taking it seriously. But now with the evolution of the type of data, such as tracking data, comes with very difficult problems, very complex situations that you're going to need to develop statistical methodology to handle. And that's led to new publications and not just in the sports realm, but for instance, the Cervone Born work was published in Journal of American Statistical Association, a very good statistics journal, the uh, breaking down the continuous time value within a basketball possession, right? And so you see it growing more and more in terms of it's becoming more embraced within universities itself. And like in our department at CMU, um, our undergrad had uh, Rebecca Nugent's really embraced it. And we've, we had a summer program with students working on projects, all focused on sports analytics. The idea being this could be a great avenue of research, of getting involved in statistics, and it's complicated problems. So because there's more data and better data, and you're not just working with, we'll call it box score data, it's more applicable in some ways, or the methodology is more applicable to uh, statistical worlds beyond just sports. That, that'd be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. And you, you because of the complexity, right, it's going to introduce novelties, which academics love novelties, right? Ooh, it's new. We get to figure out a new way to mess with something or a new toy to play with, right? Uh, all right. Ron Yurko from Carnegie Mellon. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thanks to Ron Yurko, PhD candidate at Carnegie Mellon University, talking about his presentation at Nessus. You can follow him on Twitter at stat underscore Ron. Our next guest here on Expected Value is Danny Chu, a master's student at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. Danny has been a graduate intern in the NBA's basketball strategy and analytics department, and earlier this year, his team won the college division of the NFL's Big Data Bowl. Based on that work, his Nessus presentation was entitled Routes Identification in the NFL, as he used player tracking data to classify route types and route combinations for players and teams. Here's my conversation from Nessus with Danny Chu. We're joined now by Danny Chu, master's student at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. He did a presentation here at Nessus on route identification in the National Football League. Danny, welcome to the show. Let's kind of talk about how you got into this topic. It was part of NFL's Big Data Bowl. Tell us what that is and what that process was like for you getting involved in it. Uh, thanks for having me. So uh, the uh, the process, the Big Data Bowl, was uh, the inaugural event that was hosted uh, last uh, winter, and it re uh, released six weeks of tracking data uh, to the public to analyze. And the goals were to a promote public analyst talent and also uh, give teams ideas of what they could be doing with the tracking data. And so we had roughly 20 days to complete the project once we got the data. Ended up only being 11 for our group because of Christmas and, and, and uh, other job applications and stuff like that. So we really had to scramble and put together something in 11 days, but really just tried to, pr to provide proof of concept for a couple of different ideas, a couple of different use cases. And then when we found out that we got accepted, we then cleaned those up and made sure that we were able to present it in a, 
in a cohesive manner to football minds uh, that might not just understand the data side of what we did. And so really just tried to incorporate uh, game film and real life scenarios that they could uh, break down. So you were given this large amount of data and as I understand it, two or three tracks of kind of, you can go this direction, this direction, this direction. How did you pick route identification? Like what, what made you guys, you and your team decide, this is what we're gonna focus on here? Right, so there were three things we could choose from. The first one was a proposal rule change. Uh, the second one was how to use speed or analyze speed or how do players use speed. And the third one was optimal route combinations. So we found optimal route combinations as the most uh, statistically challenging problem and the most actionable uh, item for a football team. And so that was kind of our decision in choosing that. Uh, the route identification that I presented today was only a small subset of the actual full NFL project because the Big Datable project actually incorporated the optimal route combinations that needed the route identification part. Uh, this was just the most statistically succinct for this conference. I guess we should point out that, first of all, you and your team won the college section of the Big Datable. And then we've kind of talked around this, but what exactly was, I mean, route identification in the NFL is sort of self uh, describing, but tell me just generally what's the kind of elevator pitch of what your project was and what you ended up with. Right. And so right now, route identification is mostly done by assistant coaches, at least at the college level, from what I understand. NFL, there might be other people who are paid to do it, but uh, it's a manual job. And so our idea was from data, can we identify routes themselves? And this is looking at the patterns and movements of the players on the field and comparing those patterns to each other. So we had no, no labels for our data, and we had to come up with the labels based on the shape of the route. That was the main issue, is that we didn't really have these labels. And so we had to use a clustering technique to, to group similar, similar trajectories or similar player movements together, and then use our football knowledge to then label those trajectories as a post or as a go or as an out. So, okay, so if you're, you're taking this, what you've done so far, and a, a team, this is kind of what you did, I think, at the Big Data Bowl, a team comes to you and it's like, hey, this is really cool. What do I do with it? How do we use it? So what, what's your pitch to a team on how this can make their life easier? Right, so I think this route identification stuff is really the baseline of what we want to use. It's giving us a language and a tool to then go into further analysis. So some of the motivations I used were for, or our team used, is for, uh, receiver statistics, so being able to account for usage. You could also look at possible uh, new quarterback statistics or even defensive statistics. If you were to do this for other positions, you could uh, almost start to parse out man versus zone identification or different offensive line movements. And so like this language of movements um, now gives you uh, objects with which you can do further evaluation that add context that coach might be mad that you're missing out on when you do your original analysis. And then how about, you talked about the route combinations. So once you identify them, how do they mix together? What did you uh, do to get to that? And what did you kind of learn from the route combination work? Right. So that is very preliminary work and really a proof of concept of idea. Uh, I'm not ready or we're not ready to rewrite a coach's playbook or even suggest a play yet. It was really this really rudimentary baseline version of, hey, here's a way that now that we have route labels, we could do this. And part of optimal route combinations is knowing what the coach was trying to do on the play. So we could infer what they should be doing on the play, but that's a different question to ask. And so really, I think if you're working with a team, now you can start to have conversations about, hey, what is the goal of this play? What are you trying to design out of this play? Is this a decoy route? Or what 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 reads are being made throughout the route uh, or throughout the play? And so you can sort of use these tools for play design in that sense if you have that coach and inside information. But without knowing the goal of 
the actual play, it's a little bit harder to assign credit to routes uh, for what they did because you're putting your own idea on what they were trying to do, and that's not really the best uh, way to do it. What did you learn, and this is the first time a lot of this NFL data, play-by-play data, was public. What did you learn or what surprised you just about you're seeing this data for the first time and you had to figure out what to do with it. So what did you learn or take away from dealing with a whole completely new type of data? Right, yeah, so the tracking data was the first, we were the first public analyst to get our hands on it along with the rest of the big data participants. And it was actually, on the surprising side, it was surprisingly clean. There were a little bit of issues with uh, the way that players were facing, but overall the locations were really were really clean, and you don't really see that in a lot of sports data sets in general. Um, but a lot of tracking data can be quite noisy, and so this was this was really nice to work with. Um, but then just the magnitude of it, you know, you're going to get into working with big data. You know that you're only dealing with a small subset. But still, you really have to find ways to manage that size of data. And if you think about it, this is only the first six weeks of 2017. They now have two more seasons worth of data. It's growing by the week. So thinking about how teams are having to build data management tools to account for that much data. And really, if you want to do analysis, you need more and more data because uh, even if you have a thousand rows, that might only describe a certain number of routes, or that only might, might describe a certain number of plays. So you ha- are having exponentially more amounts of data per play, but you're not getting more plays. And so really, you need more plays of data to be able to come to some better conclusions. And so even though you have more data and you're a- able to do a better analysis, you still have to wait for so much more to come in to really like take your analysis to the next level. And so thinking about how you're going to go through three years worth of data, which now is coming into almost billions of rows, is, is just my, is mind-blowing, right? So what's, what's next? You talked a little bit about how the route identification leads to route combinations and things like that. What would you see as uh, some next steps extension-wise for what you've done so far? Right, so our project uh, in its current form was for eligible receivers. We were able to do some extensions to that work with the NFL this summer uh, and doing it for other positions, and we think that's a really a cool, unique uh, problem, and so we had some really unique results from it. The other step, uh, the our our work is motivated by a paper in basketball, and they have this first part where they identify trajectories. They do the second thing where they use those uh, trajectory the the identified trajectories as a language of words, and then they do topic modeling on top of that to get play design. And so you could do this with receivers quite well, and it's what we did in the Big Data Bowl, but you could also do this on defensive schemes, on offensive line movements, um, on all sorts of different combinations. I think that would be a really interesting way to take this. You can do cool defensive and offensive adjustments to statistics that we already have. Uh, it's really just the baseline use, and now you have this language that, that can be extrapolated in a bunch of different uh, projects or scenarios. Great, sounds good. Danny Chu, master student at Simon Fraser. Thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thanks to Danny Chu for joining us at the Nessus Conference last weekend in Boston. You can follow Danny on Twitter at Chu Your Veg. That's spelled C H U U R V E G C H U U R V E G to follow Danny Chu on Twitter. I'm joined now in the True Media Network studios by Albert Larcata, True Media's Senior Director of Business Development and Data Science. Albert, you were also at Nessus last weekend with me. You were at Ron's presentation. You heard the interview. 
You've also seen this NFL tracking data for the last few years as True Media has processed it for NFL teams. What do you think kind of about Ron's presentation and the direction that analytics, especially in the public sphere, is going with this new tracking data? Yeah, so Ron's presentation was awesome, as expected. Ron's a, a sharp guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit the last year or two. Uh, we had an internship at True Media, Carnegie Mellon internship that, that we helped out with last year. So uh, Ron's great. Um, yeah, so it, it's funny. The My biggest takeaway from his presentation was almost this little throwaway slide he had uh, that he spent, I don't know, 20 seconds on, which was essentially a flow chart of a football play laying out you know, after snap, what happens next? Uh, you know, the different branches of a play could go with quarterbacks or ball carriers and all that. And like each of those sort of boxes in that flow chart is like a year's worth of analytics development work to uh, model correctly. Uh, the the angle he took was the ball carrier route. So uh, once a you know a rusher or a receiver has the ball in his possession what's the expected yard line. And then the novel approach was the distribution of the expected uh, yard line that he eventually gets tackled at or goes out of bounds or scores. So, I mean, which is great. Like that's a key part of it. And it's a requirement to, you know, get the play right. But like, it's just, it's, it's crazy how much work still needs to be done with each of those individual models and the transition probabilities of going from, you know, quarterback has the ball, he can pass it to this receiver or that receiver, he can scramble left or right, he could get sacked, like, there's so many things going on that all need their own attention and their own model. And um, so yeah, it, it's just, you know, he, I, I know he, he, he knows this too, but that little flowchart he made that I think he said it took him like months to even come up with that flowchart, which is, which is probably true, like, it's, it's, it's hard to, mm-hmm. to do that. The work required to kind of get that flowchart working from a framework and having models to, you know, get at each of those steps is, uh, it's a lot of work. So, uh, the, the part Ron tackled was great though. I was interested by not just his presentation, not just Danny's, but there were so many presentations where, uh, what they did, a had a lot of building blocks in it that can be used for a lot of other things. And their presentation itself could kind of be built upon to do a lot more stuff. Like Danny's was basically about identifying routes. And that seems kind of elementary. Like you could have coaches watch tape, scouts watch tape, and just about do a similar thing without tracking data. But by automating it, like Danny did, you do it faster and you create this building block for so much more. You can identify route combinations that do and don't work. You can do likelihood of certain routes in certain situations, et cetera. All of these are things that coaches do already to some extent, whether it's like explicitly charting plays or you just kind of know in your head, oh, he's likely to run a slant on third and seven or or whatever it is. So these things are happening already in kind of a non-analytics way, in a sense. And this makes doing that so much more easier and so much more powerful for teams to be able to use and for the public be able to see. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it goes back to, I I know we had Mike Lopez on a couple of weeks ago, but so much of this is a thanks to him for getting people like Ron and Danny mm-hmm. and a lot of others there the uh, the data so that the the frameworks and ideas they these guys had in their minds I'm sure before the data even came out uh, you know they're able to act upon it and start the m- movement towards the a- answering of, of those questions from Ron's flowchart. Right, it's exciting to see all these things 
just out there because I'm sure teams, some teams are doing things like this to some extent, but obviously we're never going to see it if it's a team because they're doing it for their own private use, which is understandable. But now football is starting to, you know, kind of be where baseball was a decade ago in the sense that this public data is getting worked on and shown and it's just going to keep building understanding, knowledge and an enjoyment of the game uh, to some extent. All right. Thanks, Albert. That will wrap up the first of two podcasts featuring interviews from last weekend's Nessus conference. Later this week, we'll talk with Lori Shaw and Sam Gregory, who both made soccer presentations there in Boston. As always, guest suggestions, questions, and feedback are always welcome via email, expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. That's trumedianetworks.com. Or on Twitter, at truemediasports or at Paul Carr. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts and continue to spread the word as much as possible. For Albert Larcata and everyone here at True Media Networks, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to the Expected Value Podcast. 